What's up, everybody? Um, this episode of the podcast, I will be interviewing Calaris. I did this interview, uh, I think, two days before the WCS Global Finals. So it was in my hotel room in L.A. This is actually the second time I've done an interview with Calaris for this podcast because uh, if you guys were watching from earlier podcasts, you know that we did end up losing two episodes. One was Calaris's episode. The other one was Chobra's. So uh, I really appreciate the Claris took the time to sit down and talk to me again. Uh, this is a great episode, though. I really have a lot of respect for this guy. I do think he is the best host in esports. He does a really good job uh, you know, managing the show on those desk segments. He's a really smart guy. Um, he's somebody I really like to work with. So this is uh, an episode I think you're going to really enjoy. And as a quick reminder, uh, there is an after show that you can also check out that we do that is for patreon supporters only um as i've said in our other episodes we've unlocked video for the tasteless podcast but we're still pumping out the rest of the podcast that we already recorded uh that are audio only i've got uh, a deal it looks like i'm going to get worked out with some of my friends that have uh, a studio and some equipment so we might be doing uh, the rest of the podcast out of there instead of out of my apartment i'll keep you guys posted i'll let you know uh, but the support on Patreon is really appreciated. It goes right back into making the show awesome. Um, let me think here. Is there anything else I need to cover? Is that did I do everything? I got like a KSL uh, finals. It's going to be in two weeks. Um, I got a broadcast on Thursday, and then I, I look at my calendar now. And then the the next the actual finals is going to be on Friday. So definitely check that out if you can. Um, and that's it. Without further ado, here is our episode with Calaris. So. Um, is your mic where it needs to be, or do you want to lower it or move it at all? Yeah, I'll I'll, I'll jiggle position a little bit from time to time, and okay, I'll make sure I go back to the position that I'm at for the mic. Okay, it should be fine, right? It sounds okay to you. This sounds great. This sounds perfect. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Um. So, uh, you were just in a WoW raid, right? <laughs> yes. Yes, I was. Okay. <laughs> How was that? I've never I've never actually played WoW. So, okay, I'll give you the very TLDR. Um, okay. I am now guild master of my guild, Accord on Firemore, the biggest European server. Congratulations. Um, thank, yeah. And uh, we just made our first Hand of Ragnaros, which is the legendary weapon. It's the legendary hammer. It's a lot of materials. It's like a random drop chance on a certain item on Ragnaros. And I was the one that crafted the hammer. So like we did all this stupid RPing stuff and walk up to the anvil and craft it and things. And we made a little video. Because we're our peers. <laughs> <laughs> How many people do you have to um, be playing with to, to do that, to do the raid? Uh, the raid's a 40-man raid, and then uh, actually crafting the hammer is a lot of material. Let me be like 5,000 golds worth of materials. So, and then, yeah. It's cool. I, I like it. <laughs> <laughs> I was playing Resident Evil 2, uh, mm. the remastered one, while you were uh, while you were doing that. Raiden. I, I was... Uh, I do. I love it. I never played Resident Evil 2. Yeah. So I missed out on that entirely. So it's cool to come back with this newer version of the game and give that a try. I got stuck for a little bit, though. And then I went and had a, a beer with Rotterdam and Maynard on their balcony. Nice. Yeah. It's been, a, it's been a good time already before we get into BlizzCon. Yes. Like, having these two chill days has been really sweet. Admittedly, I've been raiding each of those days, but, like, you know, we got to hang out a little bit, chill a little bit. Yeah, and you're going to be in California for a while now, right? I mean, you have... Um, BlizzCon. We were all flown out here from Seoul. We're yeah. hanging out here in the uh, hotel in Anaheim waiting for BlizzCon, our one day of a uh, big broadcast to finish up. But then you're staying here for PUBG, correct? Yeah. 
Yeah, so I'm out um, here for literally a month now. Um, it's quite a while away from home, so that kind of takes its toll a little bit. But after BlizzCon, I'm sticking around for a few days, going over to new hotels and uh, working for PUBG Corp, because I'll be their uh, desk host for their World Championship, uh, which is the culmination of the entire year of pro leagues across the world. There's 32 teams coming to play in the group stages and then obviously we could break that down to like eventually 16 teams for the final first two weeks are going to be in uh, manhattan uh, manhattan beach uh yeah and then we go over to oakland to finish it up in one of the stadiums over there have you been to oakland before um yes a few times actually like not only for PUBG in the past but i think we also did starcraft there once or twice if i oh, recall really yeah because um and I think day nine actually. Did. <laughs> okay. Well, it wasn't this plot. <laughs> no, not this plot. Sorry. Um, there was a. <laughs> I know they had a lot of CS:GO stuff in Oakland. Yeah. So, so the fun, fun thing about that. I think the StarCraft event that we did there. It might not have been. It was somewhere up there. Um, we got a bus up because we did like group stages, say in here in Burbank or whatever, and then we got a bus up to Oakland, and for like four straight hours, me and Snoop played Smash on 3DS, and I was like. I'm going to beat you, and I never beat him. <laughs> <laughs> He's a good Yoshi. So uh, how many weeks are you uh, going to be in the States? And uh, when you're done here, do you go back to Poland initially, which is where you're residing for the listeners? Yeah. So, yeah, I'm here for about like three or four weeks still. Uh, and then after that, back to Poland. And thankfully, I have nothing scheduled for December, which hopefully I can just take like the entirety off. I like that as a reset. It's kind of weird because like, I think for a lot of people's jobs, like a month reset sounds quite excessive. But I think for us, our job, a month reset when you've been traveling here, there, and everywhere throughout the year is really, really useful just to be able to switch off, do nothing apart from maybe game and just go and like chill for a little bit. When you've been, man, I don't know how many flights I've done this year, too many, because I've Back and forth to Berlin for PUBG Pro League, doing the whole StarCraft circuit. There were other smaller events that were going on. Jeez, it's too much. So, yeah, what do you do when you when you go back? Like, is, is it simply, like, you vegetate, you hang out with <laughs> the misses and, 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 and chill? Or, or do you ever do any traveling for yourself? So, I for, for the most part, I would say my holiday experience is sitting at my PC and doing nothing. Like, taking care of my puppy, you know, hanging out with a girl, etc. Um, but I will be going on to uh, the UK at Christmas, which is kind of nice to see my family and stuff like that. But most of the time, if I'm thinking about a holiday, it's being at home. No traveling. Although I think we're probably going to end up doing some traveling soon, because obviously, like... Uh, my girl likes to wants to do some traveling. She comes with me at some events sometimes, which is really cool. But it's not quite the same as saying going somewhere and just chilling you do know? you ever have a situation where because you travel a lot and you're in a sense for your job yeah doing something being something all the time and your girlfriend uh if i understand from our conversations um you know when we're not when we're not doing a podcast like this she's basically just in poland busy sure, doing yeah, stuff yeah. there do you end up in a situation where she wants to do more stuff when you're back there where you just don't want to do anything yeah yeah very much and you've got to try and kind of get the balance i think i'm probably on the unbalanced side i'm gonna yeah. be honest i i feel like i maybe like just sit and play my games too much uh, of course it's my job right like i play the games i you know i study the games i'm watching tournaments whilst that's going on um but maybe i play a little bit 
much uh, instead of <laughs> doing things together. Uh, but, you know, if you live together and stuff like that, you just, you know, you've got to craft out that balance together and whatnot. So she's, I, she's a very understanding lady. That's cool. <laughs> I, 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 had a, I had a relationship where it was like we were total opposites. I was traveling so much for my work. Yeah. And every time uh, I come back from these trips, my vision is just like we sit in the house we sleep in. That's perfect. You know, and um, <laughs> like, what do you want to get for dinner? Well, let's just go down the street yeah. to that place that I like to go. But, of course, she's been eating there the entire time I've been gone. You know, <laughs> and she wants to go to like a concert yeah, yeah. or, um, I don't know, rent a cabin and go hang out there. And for me, I'm thinking like, no, no, <laughs> I've done too much stuff. <laughs> I've been traveling move. too much. It didn't happen as much this year, but definitely in the past. Yeah. I, I've had this experience where um, my relationship with activity versus vegetation is solely affected by my job. If I have a ton sure. of broadcasts, if I have a ton of travel, I don't want to do anything. For instance, this year, because I didn't have much travel at all for my work. Yeah, you're in career a lot this, this year, I suppose. Yeah, so now yeah. I'm really hungry to go do stuff. I was super mm. excited. When you guys came out, we got to do that event together and then come here. But um, it seems like you're in kind of the opposite position where it's just constant travel. Is there a, a point where you realize that you've traveled too much? Yes, this year. Really? <laughs> Is this the most you've traveled out of any year? Because yeah. I feel like you've, you've been super, uh, for lack of better words, living on airplanes. Yeah, kind of. So uh, let's let's take a step back for a moment and go bigger picture here. Every year in esports, I always thought to myself, there's no way next year is going to be busier. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then it always gets busier. And I'm like, oh my God, how is this even a thing? So this year has been kind of ridiculous because I was doing PUBG Pro League a lot. Um, and I wasn't like PUBG Pro League was either eight weeks or six weeks. And e each weekend I was commuting back and forth from Berlin to Krakow. Now, admittedly, it's only a small direct flight, 50 minutes flight or whatever, really, really nice. But still, it, it you know, you're away from home, right? Um, so there was three seasons of that. I was doing every StarCraft Circuit event that was going on whilst all of that was happening. I was asked to do other events, which effectively I was almost triple booked because they wanted me to do MDI, uh, Mythic Dungeon International for World of Warcraft kind of mythic uh, races, etc. Um, and then also, I got asked to do a lot of method events. You know, the world first stuff that method's doing, which I've had to turn down every single one, which really sucks because I would have loved to have done those. Um, so there, were, there was so much work this year that I was already just on planes all the time and could have been on planes even more if I'd have said, yes, I want no time at home. <laughs> That's when I've decided it's a bit too much. <laughs> well, you, how long have you lived in Poland for now? Uh, about a year and a half now, and and you're in in the Krakow area, Krakow, which yeah. is I'm sorry, it's it's Krakow. Well, they they pronounce it Krakow, okay. um, but a lot of people say Krakow. It's it's by the by. Nobody really cares that. Okay, much. okay. Um, that's an amazing uh, area, by yes. the way. It's one of the most beautiful places in Europe I've ever been. I was fortunate because obviously when I left ESL. And everyone was like, oh, doom and gloom. ESL's getting rid of all the commentators. Newsflash, guys. I'm making more money now than ever before. Like, when it came to oh, not no, being you're, under you're, ESL. You're doing great right now. Yeah. <laughs> that was so funny when everyone was like, oh, now they're going to be they're gonna be screwed. I'm like, you actually don't know the ins and outs of this deal. But anyway, so um, as soon as that happened, obviously, I was living in Cologne, right? And I, I liked Cologne, but I was kind of done with Cologne. And you were I, in Cologne for how long? Six years. I was at the, Six years. Okay. Yeah. 
And then how long have you been in Krakow for? Uh, a year and a half, I'd say. Okay. So, uh, like, as soon as I left ESL, like, there were other events going on whilst that, that transition was happening from full-time to freelance. But during that time, I was like, all right, I need to leave Cologne. I'm done. I'm done here. That's it. So I was... <laughs> in the midst of like two months worth of events, like traveling here and there and everywhere. And whilst doing that, I was finding a new apartment <laughs> in Krakow. <laughs> and then everything got moved from that apartment whilst I was doing Gamescom, I think it was. Um, so it was a bit chaotic, but as soon as I'm done somewhere, I just kind of snap my fingers and I'm gone. I, I want to be somewhere new. Like I got to make that move happen no matter how busy I am. So is, is that a good place to be in? Oh, Compared Krakow? to Cologne for for your work, or or does it for how much you're traveling? Is it sort of irrelevant? It, you know, is it just a, another airport? Sort of irrelevant. Um, this is a very minor thing, but in Cologne, I had a good connection to straight to Frankfurt. Like I get a training and then just go anywhere in the world almost direct because Frankfurt's big. Krakow, the connection's not great, so um, the from the airport there, I almost always need to connect. But I love the lifestyle that I currently have in Poland. A lot of people, when I said that I was moving to Poland, they were like, why are you moving to Poland? <laughs> like, <laughs> like there's some kind of sinister, ominous... As an American, man, I mean, when I was in school, I mean, yeah. everything I knew about Poland was just, you know... They're like, it's uh, gray and dark. They got and... fucked over in World War II. <laughs> yeah, I know, seriously. Yeah, I mean, they did. You know, um, and they, they don't teach you much more than sure. that. So at least from an American perspective, in, in my education system that I went through, I, I just sort of always imagined it to be kind of... Well, let's be honest. Worse than it, worse than it was actually when I got down there, and I, and I yeah. saw, for instance, uh, I think a lot of Krakow, people. I, I was very impressed with how nice it was. I think a lot of people hear the name Poland and are like, "Oh, that's cold, right? Mm -hmm. That name sounds cold. They assume sure. it's cold. They assume there's snow all the time. No, like <laughs> this, this is not how this works, guys. It's actually like very nice, very temperate. Like um, Krakow in itself, as you just previously mentioned, it's a beautiful city. Like I live right next to the square. And I encourage anybody to actually come and visit Krakow because it is gorgeous as a location. It's not quite like, for an esports perspective, a lot of us are like, oh, Katowice, it's kind of, because it's an industrial town, right? But that's it's, where we host the IEM and all that Katowice is a, a mining town, correct? Yeah, yeah. And, and they, there's a several tech schools there, which is one of the reasons why I think the city pays IEM. To, to use its facilities there? Ah, okay. So in the early year, I don't know if, I don't know if this was public information back in the day, but like in the earlier years of IEM Katowice, the, the city did like a deal with ESL to like basically get like, or give them or at a very reduced price, give them Spodek, right? Which... And Spodek is the arena where IEM's held at. Yeah. And did you know Spodek means UFO? Yes. Yeah. I did know that. And, and, and then the venue shaped like a big... Flying saucer. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. Yeah. And then ever since we started there, then they added on all these halls and stuff like that. I think IEM Katowice has probably put Katowice on the map. That's kind of crazy, well, right? This is, like this an esports event that's done that. Yeah, and it's very impressive. And Polish crowds are amazing, by the way. Yeah. Um, yeah. Compared to a lot of other crowds in Europe, they're you mean really German widely... golf claps. Ger yeah, well German, done. German's not reacting to anything that's <laughs> happening. Uh, I've definitely seen that at some live events. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. So. Um, oh fuck! What the fuck, the fuck was I gonna say? I had something <laughs> to ask you involving this. Uh, oh no, that's right. I w I was gonna point out that basically that's not uncommon for regions of the world to to pay to have a major event. Yeah, come down and then 
um, I mean, look at what it's that done. Area. Look at what it's done. Honestly, like I, I don't. I mean, I don't look at ES anymore, right? So I don't know if that's still the deal, still the way they do it. But now, when IEM Katowice goes there again, like I feel like it's kind of put Katowice on the map. Yeah. Like I, you go around the city and there's like a huge blow up, um, trophy of the a uh, replica trophy of the IEM Katowice trophy and everything like that. They get really into it, and tons of people come to the city. Yeah, like, it's, it's in a very central location. I mean, mm. it's it's not hard to get to whether you're in Eastern or Western Europe. Yeah. Um. And I think that helps it out a lot as well. Just it, being in a in a good location. Katowice Airport's in the middle of nowhere, but that's a bit weird. So, <laughs> yeah. But I mean, to transfer into Warsaw or, or somewhere yeah, else, yeah. and then and then uh, go in there is, I think, not too difficult at all. Yeah. So, uh, how long do you plan on staying in Poland? Um, right now, I'm not 100 percent sure. It really does depend. Um, I really like it there. Like, everything's very cheap there. Everything's very nice there. People are very nice there. Like, no matter what, like. Other people say, like, again, when I when I moved there, I was like, well, why do you want to go to Poland? It's, you know, people have these weird apprehensions about this location that they clearly don't know too much about. I'm not going to get into the politics of Poland right now because it's kind of a bit screwed. I was going to use a stronger word. Um, <laughs> I've actually had people have odd opinions about uh, Korea because I think mostly oh, yeah? what they read about is North Korea. Oh. And they, they, be careful. I go, well, it's... Probably not as bad as you're, you're thinking it is. It's actually a pretty safe place. The TLDR of Poland is is that uh, right-wing conservatives just won. I so. actually wanted to ask you about this. I mean, you, you're you from you the UK. Unfortunately. <laughs> and I want to get into Brexit in a second here. But you spent time in, in Germany. Yeah. Uh, six years, you said. I was in Finland and, before and, that. You know, And that's right. You were in Finland before that. And were yeah. you anywhere else before Finland? No. Okay, so... UK to Finland to Germany to Poland. to Poland and a whole bunch of countries in between because yeah. you have to travel a lot for your work. And then um, it, l- l- let me ask a couple questions. Yeah, just sure. going down that. So, what was your take? You, I believe you would have been in Germany for the in- entirety of when Angela Merkel was there, right? Or was she elected? Uh, yeah, yeah, there? that was correct. Uh, what was your take on her leadership while you were there, and 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 its impact on Germany? So, quite honestly. I don't know. Um, and the reason why I'm asking this is because she is probably the leader of, of, of the left within uh, the EU. Sure. Right? And and then you're in Poland now, which is elected a far right. Uh, so I used yeah. to get like really in-depth of politics quite a while before going to Germany. And then whilst I was in Germany, I really didn't look into it that much. It's only okay. since the Brexit stuff kicked in that I've been very in tune with what's going on in the Brexit thing, unfortunately. Um, but beyond that, I, I really... Whilst I was in Germany, I didn't care too much. I sort of... It's weird. I'm in this world where I sort of don't care now, but I have to care. And yeah. that's kind of what I think a lot of people kind of miss. They will say, oh, I don't care about politics. Oh, it doesn't affect me. So, sorry, but you kind of have to care, and it does affect you, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, a, a lot of this stuff. So even if you don't really give a damn, you kind of want to be educated about it, you know? So, so uh, going big picture with that, mm. you know, Germany um, led in a large number of um, refugees. Um, they were a country that was very welcoming. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Poland's uh, certainly, uh, I would say it's fair to say right now, has a pretty negative view on accepting refugees or people from other countries. They have a negative view on a lot of things. Uh, but <laughs> Right. Um, but just, you know, a lot of the, the their neighboring countries and people, uh, in their view, coming in there and taking this. And then 
uh, this whole Brexit thing sort of happened because of, uh, some would say, the identity of, of the UK uh, and not want to be bossed around by Europe. Or, All being or, nationalist racists. R- r- yeah, yeah. That's, that's, <laughs> you said it more politely than I was. Words. Uh, so um, what is going on in, in, in Europe is a, is a, a big picture, in, in your opinion, yeah. and then also... What's your view on what's happened in the UK with Brexit, at least up to now? And I know that's a big question, so feel free to take Oof. that wherever you go, <laughs> right. wherever you want to go. Let's Sorry. let's let's start with has let's start with has my life been enriched because of the EU? From everything that we've just spoken about, me being able to freely move from the UK to Finland to a girl that I met in World of Warcraft to Germany to a place where I actually got offered a job to then Poland, where I became freelancer and I'm currently a temporary resident and I have a very, very happy life there. Arguably the most happy life that I've had out of all of those countries so far. Has the EU enriched my appeal to just be able to do whatever I want to do in this space? And the answer for that is categorically a yes, right? Without the concept of the European Union, none of that would have ever been able to happen without a... (sighs) An annoying amount of paperwork, right? Yeah, and I guess <laughs> the concept of the EU is a, is a globalization yes. one, right? I mean, the same thing for me. The United States and South Korea have a very good alliance. And the notion um, of it is I, built on peace. Right, and right? so someone like me, a kid from Kansas, can end up in downtown Seoul mm. working there. Um, certainly wasn't as easy as I think it was for you because of the, the nature of the EU and how fluid they let their citizens yeah, yeah. Uh, in that area be, but... Still, the the concept of globalization allows me, a kid from a suburb in Kansas, to end up in a mega city in Asia, mm. uh, doing the job that I is my dream job. Yeah, yeah. So I guess for both of us, we've we've got nothing but gains from globalization. The majority, unfortunately, the majority of people that seem to believe that something like Brexit is the correct idea are the same people that are staying in the same village for the same rest of their lives and not seeing the entirety of the world. They don't think bigger picture, unfortunately. And uh, if they ever did think bigger picture for just a slight moment in their lives, they would see that something like Brexit uh, and an attempted privatization of things like the nhs and that is what the conservative party would like to do or at least some people in the conservative party is going to lead to pain for everybody when it comes to something like the uk um i mean it's been delayed now (laughs) quite honestly i'm in a world where i don't think it's ever even going to happen because there is so much like in in parliament what what is the date they've got now is it january 31st I don't. I thought recall. I saw that on my well, phone. Well, the, the thing is, is that if if it is even that they're holding a general or they're trying to push through a general election, I think on December the twelfth, because you know Boris Johnson's an interesting human being. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but here's the thing, though. Even if that does occur, there is this um, situation where Remainers, obviously Remainers, would like to. There's cause protests all the time in the UK right now for Remain. Admittedly, maybe. I don't, I don't even think that Brexiteers would protest if it was gone the other way. Um, but th- there is a situation right now where Remainers would like to unify the vote. Because for, for, there's a few parties that want to remain, right? But if you don't unify the vote for one, then you can just be stuck in a position where nobody has a majority and then you can't really push any kind of change through. Uh, so I don't think... I, I think we're going to be stuck in this limbo for a few years. <laughs> Quite is, honestly. Is there any <laughs> chance they can reverse it? 
Because I know there's been some conversation of people saying we need to get a revote yeah. or something like that. Or is that also uh, simply logistically impossible? Um, I think we may be stuck in it for a few years. And then I think a second referendum may come around um, once everyone realizes, oh, we're never going to pass any of these deals through. Bear in mind, the deal that Boris Johnson negotiated with the EU is technically, as a Brexiteer, and I am not a Brexiteer, I'm just saying from their camp point of view, worse than Theresa May's deal. Because what Boris Johnson's deal says is, you have to abide by all the rules technically of the EU, but you have no say. That's the TLDR of that, right? Um, So Brexiteers aren't exactly getting what they want. The people that voted for Brexit aren't getting what they want because, again, they're nationalist racists who, like, (laughs) who want to stop coloured people coming into the country, which is absolutely farcical and stupid um, based on just their own prejudices towards these kind of groups. Um, And then on the other side of things, the Remainers, are they going to get what they want? Because I don't know if it even occurs. (laughs) Like, I I think we're stuck in it for a while, stuck in it for a few years. Maybe a second referendum happens. And of course, if a second referendum does happen, I think that it would be voted as let's not leave the EU because every single time, oh God, I'm getting on a rant. I'm so sorry. No, this is great. Every single time you watch the House of Commons argue with one another, Remainers will come to them and say, hey, here are the facts and the figures that these research departments have brought out and showing that our economy is going to fall and showing that jobs are going to leave and showing that all of these bad things will happen if Brexit happens. And then the Brexiteer gets up and he says, 52, 48, 52, 48, 52, 48. And he just keeps repeating that. And it's like, huh, this is this is how your democracy works? Like, you're just going to keep repeating this number and just not have a revote? Maybe people have changed their minds now that they know some facts and figures that are true instead of the lies that they were told three years ago. Can I tell you years. something, man? Yeah, sure. I find, <laughs> I find, well, I, occasionally <laughs> at late at night I watch YouTube videos of um, Parliament yeah. just arguing because it's so different. Order from from the U.S. Do you like Burkow? Congress. <laughs> what a lad. <laughs> yeah. He's a, he's a Remainer. <laughs> I mean, it's it's very interesting to see just how that works and how vocal it is. And I mean, I would say it's functional, but I guess you guys are in a pretty dysfunctional spot right now. But to see just how open and honest and, and aggressive the 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 debates can be. In well, there. quite honestly, Burkow is one of the only voices of reason in there, which is kind of crazy because well, the Conservative Party kind of detests him yeah. because he keeps blocking like a lot of their stuff to like... So, for example, a week ago, um, at the time of recording, a week ago, he basically blocked Boris Johnson from being able to push through a vote on his deal again because Burkow just, you know, as Speaker chooses what goes up for a vote what doesn't go up for a vote or discussion and things like that and he said look this is redundant (laughs) stop it um so yeah are there any jobs that i mean i'm asking because i actually don't know because this is obviously not no pun intended my cup of tea um with what's going on in the uk but are are there no jobs that um uh, immigrants are coming and taking at all or is, is or is this is this pure xenophobia in your view I can I do I don't have the statistics to yeah. be able to back anything up regarding that. I'm not going to pretend to, you know, be the authority on something like that. But I think that ultimately things like the NHS have been have been shown to have benefited quite heavily from, you know, 
people coming in and and you know taking some of those jobs utilizing some of those jobs um because i think quite honestly i don't think that the uk has been able to have enough people to do those jobs and train in those jobs etc um so that's definitely something that seems to have benefited from the other departments i don't know i think people like are annoyed that you know either polish people or some other people are coming in and doing jobs that are just normal everyday jobs hey newsflash right i i just i have to say this geez but like it's so infuriating to watch because if these people believe that they can't get jobs what are they doing <laughs> yeah. like what what are they doing are they out there improving themselves for a potential other job because if you're not then you're really not trying hard enough like i feel like you could always be improving yourself right if i fell out of this job tomorrow what would i be doing i'd be looking for a job and if i wasn't looking for, if if i couldn't find a job whilst that was going on hey on the side i'd be you know either going back to university and learning something or going to a trade college and learning a trade you know like i'm sure there are so many things that people could do instead of sitting at home watching tv does the uh, does the uk have this similar situation that's been happening in the states where there's factories shutting down like in the states for instance um well know, by the way people factor some factories have already pledged to leave if brexit happens oh, because really? it creates such a problem for them to be able to trade with other locations oh, that's a good point like yeah I mean, what i was gonna ask <laughs> i guess pre-brexit yeah was um in the states there was tons of you know air conditioner manufacturer or manufacturers or car part manufacturers mm. then uh then their jobs were sent overseas and it would um so they they would be making the fact the factory would be in Mexico or in India Strong, or in China yeah. um and then it would kind of destroy these small parts of towns uh, is, is is anything like that I, I should say was anything like that happening before brexit that would have caused that angst or or hmm um cuz i genuinely don't know i wasn't paying as much attention to that before brexit kind of came about because obviously my a lot of my focus was on being elsewhere and Actually, stuff like that. I Until my passport was threatened, <laughs> I wasn't really paying attention. I guess what I'm saying wouldn't make as, as much sense because, you know, uh, a lot of Trump getting elected was disenfranchised uh, Midwesterners sure. and Southerners where they didn't have anything going on in that town but this job. Mm. Whereas it, Brexit was saying, we don't want to be part of the EU at all. And I guess if you were a factory owner there, I mean, it would, wouldn't make sense to then try to islandize yourself. I I, I don't want to talk about Brexit forever. I, I, no, I must but, admit, but I think the UK has yeah. kind of felt that for a long time. Great Britain has always considered itself Great Britain, whereas since the Empire guys, it's just Britain. It's not great. Like so, <laughs> <laughs> living, honest, quite honestly, living living in Britain when I did. Maybe something's changed. I don't know. But living in Finland was better. Living in Germany was better. Living in Poland was better. It it sounds bad for me to kind of like, kind of criticize Britain too much. But I think Britain has this almost. It's not. It's not. It's not an inferiority complex because they still do think they're truly great. Maybe a superiority complex. I, yeah, I suppose a superiority complex in the sense that they they do think they're great and they think like they rule the world, but. Like, they're just another country, along with everybody else. Hell, England is uh, fundamentally the mongrel race. Like, there are so many many people that have called England their home over the years and years and years that we are all bred from different creeds, different cultures, different everything. And now, all these Brits, in inverted commas, think that they can 
kick people out of their country just because they came from somewhere else it's like that and that's not even going to happen by the way because both like the european union and people already living in england like um the the two parties uh that do sit in that position have already said mostly that people can stay where they are if they're already settled so like what what are they doing what what, what uh, is out of the three actually no sorry four countries have lived in the uk finland germany poland hmm. what was the best and worst part i guess of the the cultural experience there what did they do right and what was the thing they just couldn't couldn't figure out compared to the other mm. places you lived. It it oh okay so this this might be a little bit deep. It kind Let's of do it. it kind of comes back to the idea of something that instigates Brexit, which is pride. And I, I've been thinking about this for a little while. This is in regards to which country? Of all countries. Of all countries. Okay, give me, sorry. Give, give me a second. Sure, please, give me a, please. Right. So, did <laughs> um. What has an over sense of pride ever led to that's been positive? If you if you Google over pride leads to, right? Or, or pride leads to. Most of the things that pride leads to is kind of like a negative thing. Like over pride in being a certain, you know, nation or whatever kind of leads to either just, you know, a sad situation. So Brexit is is a is a result of like overpride I would say of like the nationalist kind of like racist the, the things that like a lot of older people like older generations seem to believe that their country is great right um for me when I was living in Germany admittedly I am partially at fault when I go to these countries because I'm not as gun-ho about learning a lot of the languages that I learn but I think one thing that really hindered Germany was an overpride in their language for example um where i don't think we true in france as well they sure it's almost impossible to get anybody <laughs> even you speak french in, in france they're yeah annoyed with you but like <laughs> in germany like in cologne for example a lot of young people were able to speak english and stuff and they were super keen about practicing their english um and then in germany i had a lot of situations where like companies for example you would ring them up and you'd expect a lot of these companies because you know it's a place like germany there's a lot of people there that don't know german uh, and they'd be like no sorry we can't speak to you in english we only speak in german i'm like well i'm i'm screwed uh, <laughs> um so things like that um i i think like an over prideful sense of um something that they believe to be theirs you know i think if you if you are able to put your pride aside and be able to absorb you know other things like that i think that that creates a better situation for a lot of these countries in my opinion that's is that a weird answer no no i mean i think you, you highlighted <laughs> something really important which is that occasionally there's too much of we're doing it this way there's too much and pride there's too many people that take themselves too seriously i think yeah what do, now what, what do you like about poland um pierogi no <laughs> <laughs> polish uh dumplings um i like i don't know i I like that everything's very cheap. Uh, there are a lot of things that I do like about Poland. It's just hard for Poland me. Poland is very affordable. Yeah, it's very, it's very affordable. Yeah. Uh, it's I have great tax. <laughs> I can I have a great percentage. Um, <laughs> uh, there's there's a lot of things there. Like I I like my girl. I like my puppy. I like Krakow. I like the amount of money I have to spend. Oh, so it's um, so it's less it's, about it's a whole like uh, thing. it's less about 
the cultural parameters and maybe the city itself, but more like that's sure. where home is. That is that and is that's where, where home you feel is. you know happy and. I I like that I live in a city that looks pretty. It's that's, that's oh, no that no it's got no depth. Krakow, no, but Krakow is <laughs> a beautiful place. Like I can see the castle from my apartment. Yeah, you know the huge castle along the road. Yeah. Uh, sorry, along the river, uh, which is next to the square. Like I have a great location, and ultimately, uh, sometimes things get a little bit leery on the main road of which I live along, and I'm near Krakowia Stadium, so I can sometimes hear everybody chanting the football chants and stuff like that. And yeah, but ultimately, it's it's very nice. Um. The only time I ever see trouble is like when there's a local derby on or something like that, and then all the <laughs> <laughs> all the police fans come out to make sure that not everybody's attacking each other. Um, but other than that, man, like it's it's very nice. Do you feel like you have um out of all the games you've casted, is there one that you prefer to host or cast more than others? Because you've had such a wide range Oof. of um different games you've covered. And let me see if I can go down. You started in StarCraft too. Yes. Um, you did Heroes. Yes. Um, you're doing PUBG now, but obviously there's several other games sprinkled in between there. Is there another major one that I'm missing? Not major one. Okay. I would say that those are the three that I've majorly focused on. Um, I've done Guild Wars 2. I did a Counter-Strike event or two. I've done, oh, that's right. Sorry. Uh, yeah. World of Warcraft MDI. I've done... I did the first ever Clash Royale tournament. Like, just here and there and everything. Like, ultimately, I'm an all-round gamer. Right, like I, I love playing lots of games, um, and for me, once I branched out from StarCraft Two, the the variety kept me sane. Yeah, because <laughs> when when you commit yourself to this job, when you commit yourself to this world of esports and stuff like that, I when I'm at home, even though I've never done a Dota Two event, even though I've never done like some of these other a Hearthstone event, truly and stuff like that, I still like watch all esports. Because I want to know about the entirety of like the landscape of what's going on, you know. Uh, I think that that's something that's kind of intriguing. To I love the concept of esports, or as we've referred to it e-gaming. recently, e-gaming. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny how much that meme caught on. By the way, e-gaming. Um, just we we're having a lot of fun with that in the uh, the pre-week leading up to now. Red Eye wasn't having fun with it. <laughs> <laughs> no, he was not. He's losing his shit. <laughs> so, so you prefer doing no, uh, a. No, I don't think he was no, actually, no, no. but I, I I like that uh, we had some back and forth uh, on Twitter and stuff. So, um, yeah, you prefer just having a rotation of games? Do you feel like that's healthier for your mind? Because I find personally, if I'm doing a lot of games, that's hard for me. Sort of. Um. So, it's a it's a weird situation because for me, StarCraft's like always that first love. I don't think you'll ever, when you start out in esports, and if you if you've got a game that you're, let's say, maining in, <laughs> um, I think you'll always see that as your your game, right? You'll always see that as your game, your first. Um, but one of the main, I mean, there's actually many reasons I actually moved away from StarCraft Two to like do other topics, other 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 games and genres, uh, and one of them was in part to get out of your shadow. (laughs) Like, I always aspire for more, and I think everybody should always aspire for more, regardless of what field they're in, right? Uh, And let's take StarCraft II, for example. When I was commentating, which I still want to do, but everyone always wants me to bloody host now, um, was I ever going to get a BlizzCon Finals over you and Artosis? No. 
even yeah. when I was with Sean, who I mean, me and Sean were probably Apollo like, Sean, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Me and me and him were probably like the second duo down, right? When it, during that era, uh, when we were covering all the European stuff, um, were we ever going to get a final over you guys? No, we weren't. Um, so for me, that that bugged me a little bit inside that I was never going to be able to be like, okay, I'm here on this totem pole. How do I get to the next level? Oh, it's actually impossible. Okay, I'll find another totem pole to climb and then, you know, keep going up that. And, you know, via what I've been doing, I've yeah, kept you're doing not, You're right. not the first person who said that to Dan and me. It's kind of a weird situation because with GSL, we're doing so much more StarCraft than anybody's doing. Sure, sure. You know, and then therefore we can charge more. Yeah, yeah, we can. I mean, um, it's like when I when I say that, and you know, it's not like I hold that against no, you in no, a no, personal no, no, attack to no. vi- attacking vindictive sense. It's just that this is business. This is how things are done. Well, it's also you, you know your ambitions. What do you want to do, right? And, yeah. And I think you've really successfully branched off. You know, I think I, I've done well. Yeah, you know, you've done really well, man. <laughs> um, and also, I mean, I think the hosting stuff that you do as well, because I try to do hosting. Um. Like, what was it like a couple dream hacks I did, and then I did a BlizzCon final oh, yeah. cast. Yeah, I, I didn't enjoy it. I, I really feel like I'm built to cast. I can do these desk segments, but I found that that the hosting was so much more, um, I guess wearing on me. I didn't enjoy it as much. But you seem so natural at it. I'm gonna, I'm gonna. It feels to me like a janitorial job almost. That sounds a little bit weird, right? But I feel like I'm the guy that's like sweeping things up and making sure everything's neat and making sure everything doesn't look like it's on fire in the back because a lot of those shows everything's on fire in the back <laughs> i always think about it like you're a restaurateur <laughs> or something front like of that house yeah you're the front yeah and, and you, the, the meal comes out Would and you, you like explain cognac, yes <laughs> <laughs> these scallops were made in this way and um <laughs> but i think it's a thankless job doing the hosting it, as well where it kind of feels that way it's i don't think Hosts get praised for the work they do on desks. Mm. It's the longest hours, even though it's these micro bursts of energy. Sure. Like, I I, I find, because I've done these back-to-back casts, as you have done in the early days when everything was totally fucking insane in esports and nobody had, uh, the people that were running these things didn't have a realistic view of how much people should be on camera. But Mm. I still think the, the hosting job, it's hard because you're still the face of the show when the game's not going on. Yeah, yeah. But it's such a long day. Basically, you're on every break, the opening, the closing, everything. My outlook on hosting changed throughout the years. So again, in the, in the like the first year or so of hosting, dude, I was mega stressed because like unless I had, unless everything was perfect, like any uh, the information I was getting, everything like that, I was stressed out. And I think I was a little bit of a diva during that those some of those moments, uh, which I kind of toned back because I think what happens is like after the first year of hosting, you're like. Oh, actually, you know what? If I'm doing my job correctly, A, everything is technically under my control. I could say whatever I want. I can do whatever I want. And they're kind of going to have to follow me for the most part. Unless they cut your mic off. And that's going to look a bit weird, isn't it? Uh, Yeah. (laughs) But like for me now, a, a successful death segment for me is me talking as little as possible. I even make it a meme sometimes. I will just like... On my one of my PUBG desks, for example, with uh, two guys, if they're having a conversation between each other, and one of them has an interesting point, I will just say, "Froz," 
and then he will reply to that point, right? Because they like we've already orchestrated exactly how the, the conversation is going to go. They know how I'm going to direct the conversation. I can say as little as possible and then bookend it. And then that's that's the desk segment. Uh, I think a lot of desk hosts get into this thing where they feel like they have to prove that they have all the knowledge for the game. Um, and then they go on their own like analysis tangents. And I'm like, guys, steady on. You're there to enable and have the show flow correctly. That is a thing that happens a lot, especially with new people that mm. do commentary or do a desk analysis. Yeah. Or even people that host sometimes where they kind of get caught up in, uh, how do I say this? Sometimes I've seen people commentate the games as if they were off-camera pro gamers with AK-47s pointed at them. <laughs> like they're super. Try, they're trying to prove themselves yeah, and trying yeah. to. Um, it's like they're on trial or something. And sure. I, I think occasionally people who act like that or think like that are actually genuinely confused about their job. I mean, here's the trick as a desk host: if yeah. you really want to do that, mask your analysis analysis in a question. And don't make it long-winded, right? Because, yeah. like, if it sounds more conversational, people are going to enjoy the desk segment more. And there is this weird line that you have to walk where you kind of need to mix it. Like, you need to, as a desk host, almost sometimes with with less inex- less experienced like analysis desk guys, you need to be the uh, the the yardstick for like when things can be fun and funny and stuff like that, but when things need to be serious and things need to be broken down, right? Uh, and I think I've been able to more recently do a good job of that, but that's through repetition. That's like on the job training, man, because I don't consider myself a funny person by any means, but people seem to enjoy the death segments. Well, you have a sense of humor. Sure. Is what's more important. There's nothing worse than someone on camera who doesn't have a sense of humor. <laughs> Fuck. Who's not willing yeah. to <laughs> let it go sometimes. I've, 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 I've worked with so many people on camera <laughs> and I've, I've just been with people where humor is somehow corrosive to the entire show for them <laughs> yeah, yeah it's very very odd um no i think uh especially in the early days of, of starcraft casting there was this weird uh thing going on where everybody was trying to overextend or overshow how much knowledge they were and they get too caught up in the nitty-gritty sure not realizing for instance in a caster position your job is to translate the game as well as possible to the largest number of people. I sort of think for StarCraft, that was almost a natural progression. Mm-hmm. It's weird. Because, like, um, let's take, like, our, our base of commentators, for example. I think a lot more of our guys now are fo- he- uh, heavily analysis-focused compared to play-by-play focused. Which, um, back when I was doing a lot of play-by-play StarCraft, I think I probably had more haters than a lot of the analysis guys. Because well, I think everybody had more haters early on. Yeah, sure. Like because the demographic that's watching is sure. younger and angstier, and there's they're also gonna when it, as the game ages, these people usually fuck off and go to another game. Yeah, and then hate on people there. But at the same time, I think StarCraft especially had the potential early on to attract a lot of people that even if they were Gold League, they still think they were Grandmaster, and they're yeah. like, "No, you're saying it wrong. That's not the strategy." <laughs> like you know, people people would instantaneously jump on the play-by-play guy like even though his role was like more hype than anything else so naturally a lot of those people kind of not got weeded out that's not how i want to phrase this because that's not how it is at all but like uh, navigated away you know compared to like the analysis guys who kind of prolonged there is a problem i think that happens with the perception of play-by-play commentators where and i've I've talked to league uh casters Mm. 
a decent number of them, and, and people in other games as well, but I think this is probably more common in games like Dota, League of Legends, StarCraft, because of the the way you can play by play versus the way you can uh, do analysis is yeah yeah the people that are diehard are always confused that there's a guy that's shouting over this mm-hmm. and then there's some guy who comes in here and says the an- an analytical part of what happened sure um, and they th- just think okay there's this loud idiot who's hyping it but this is this is silly this isn't as epic as it really should be because I play all day and so therefore this is unimpressive to me yeah and so you have a situation where the analyst casters end up becoming more celebrated mm. where um but it's, it's almost a vocal minority as well right like i that's know that's what i was about to a, say a, yeah a ton of people that are watching the broadcast for a play-by-play are really into the play-by-play caster yeah a lot of people love play-by-play casters and there is a finesse to play-by-play some people think it's like just screaming and stuff like that but unless you're like a newer play-by-play caster where you're going zero to a hundred straight away unless it was like a real impact moment like I don't know, like Burrowed Banelings killing one thing. Like, that's a right. zero to 100 moment, of course. But there's a lot of build-up to some play-by-play moments, which I really worked on a lot towards my end of commentary, which oh, I hate saying end of commentary because I still want to commentate, but I just never get a chance. It's I, so think the, I think you're in a funny spot because you're so good at the hosting. That's the, the you're sentence in such high I see demand. <laughs> all the time. You know, Artos is me to kind of avoid this problem that we were just talking about. You know, we make sure that he does a lot of play-by-play, and I get to analyze stuff. Yeah, yeah. Even though it probably, if you ask two people, they would say, I do more hosting of the show mm. and play-by-play, and he does more analysis. We try to make sure that we both get in there. Sure. Because we've been in meetings. Maybe, you know, some tournament wants to use us, and we'll hear how we're both described. Yeah. And we'll be like, wait a minute. Like, no, 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 no. Like, Dan can play-by-play just fine. Yeah, yeah. You know, I'm yeah. not some guy who... Who shouts and Dan's a fucking nerd. This is not exactly what's going on here. We, we we both have a background in doing this. If I'm not there, Dan can play by play all day long, and someone else can analyze. Yeah, you know it's it's. And I think um for that in like dedicated roles, that's been a topic that's been quite debated over the years and constantly i always change from year to year and for a long time i thought dedicated roles was super important. You have one guy that's play by play and one guy that's analysis, right? But when you think about it a bit more, you have a predominant role, not a dedicated role, yeah. right? Which is exactly what you were just describing. Well, you know, the origins of this actually is that it, it happened in Korea, mm. which is a, a Confucian culture. Yeah. And so they're obsessed with roles. Yeah, yeah. Uh, if you go to a Korean company, they'll always make it very clear to you what job they have in the company. Right. And right. what rank that is. Ah, okay. And so when it started uh, with StarCraft One. I should say when StarCraft 1 Esports started, excuse me, they needed one guy who could talk on camera. Yeah, yeah. Who was who knew how a television show worked mm-hmm. and was usually a little bit older. And then they needed one guy, or, or I guess in most Korean esports, it's actually two guys. Yeah. Because they thought we can't just have one you know, The evolution of the TriCast. Right, and so this was yeah. the evolution of the, of the TriCast. And basically, you have two guys who are pros, and then... A, a guy who leads the show, who's the caster, yeah, or as we would say in English, the host, and the host is facilitating everything mm-hmm. and, and and plucking ideas out of the two analysts' minds. Mm. But that's done that way because no one was doing it like that before, especially in Korea. And then also, all these kids who were StarCraft experts didn't know how to do a TV show. So sure, this sure. is, and it sort of stayed that way. Uh, in Korean esports, even though I think it could be done several different ways. Mm. Same thing with why, um, like, for instance, why is it that 
a lot of times when you when you're in Korea, you'll see the casters are sitting down. Yeah. Why would you ever cast a game sitting down? Standing up, you project your voice better. Absolutely. Oh yeah. It um, really made a difference when I was commentating back yeah. in the day. And for so sure. when I'm not on camera, I stand up. Yeah, definitely. But if if, if I'm on, I mean, granted, there's a chair occasionally. I sit down, my feet hurt or something. Yeah, yeah. But um, a lot of what you see just going on around the entire world of esports is people imitating something they saw before and not asking why. Yeah. And uh, here we are in this situation. A lot of this was copied from Korea. And there's a lot of cultural aspects uh, and, and timing aspects of where the country was and, and trying to figure esports out on its own. Yeah, yeah. That have sort of stayed here because I've also found people become much more obsessive with the role, mm. especially in hiring processes and stuff like that, where I don't really think it's as much. Maybe it's focused on a little bit too much. Well, to branch off that slightly, this is the uh, fallacy as well of like when people watch esports. There's a lot of that of like, oh, why, why don't our English commentators sound as impassioned and uh, why don't the wasn't that the oh, commentary yeah, yeah, yeah. flow like Korean commentary? And you're like, wait a minute, like <laughs> for anybody that's ever listened to Korean commentary with subtitles, one, it's a very different flow, right? I mean, you probably know a lot about this having lived in Korea. One, it's a very different flow, a very different style of commentary, and then two. The language structure is very different to English. If we commentated like Koreans do, we'd be thrown off the stage. I think English English audiences would not appreciate the a direct ripping of Korean commentary to English commentary. Is so, that fair to say? Yes. Well, if you watch, let's take World Cup commentators yeah. uh, in Korean. When the ball is shot towards the goal, they go, every time they go, shoot! Yeah, they say the word "shoot." The English word "shoot," like yes. they shoot the ball. Um, in Korean StarCraft commentary, uh, let's use StarCraft One because that's the most Korean StarCraft commentary I've seen. Because mm -hmm. I was watching that before I got to be a, a commentator. <laughs> but they drop the reaver in the guy's base, and the casters go oh, "reaver, reaver, reaver, reaver." That's literally what they're saying. Yes, they're saying the name of the unit. And if we were to do that in English, it doesn't work. Now this works in the <laughs> Korean language. Sure. And there's all sorts of other complex ways that English casting is different from the Korean casting culturally. For instance, people would be cynical if there was too much hype. Sure, sure. Unless the hype is genuine. Yeah. Where in uh, a lot of Korean casting, it's sort of expected. Mm -hmm. it's, it's part of the show. It's part of the show. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so it's hard to take the way one language and one culture operates and trying to transplant that sure. into another one. But I've honestly just found it really funny. To, to think that people will watch commentary in, in another language and decide well, it's w w when they don't know what the people are even saying <laughs> and decide it's better. Yeah, yeah. It's that's that's bizarre. actually, I think what that says about them is they don't like commentary in their own language, I guess. I, I think it's a case of the grass is always greener. Yeah. Like, uh, it just, I can't imagine that that would be, like, um, and no, no, no disrespect to them, but like people like um, I think his name was Vasacast. Do you remember the Italian guy in, in StarCraft Two, who was I don't know. He was he was you know speed, like making everything very epic and being very loud and flamboyant and things like that. And yes, that's fantastic. You know, if you want to listen to it in this microcosm every so often or whatever. But I can only imagine after a while, <laughs> if you were to try and port that to English. It would get very tiring after a while. People would not be as 
gung ho about it. Well, well, people get worn out. I mean, yeah. I've I've occasionally had days where I do a GSL round of 32, and I'll tell you what, the games weren't that good. Sure, yeah. It just, you know, it was maybe the weaker players in the group, and the games were just not that exciting, or they were very repetitious. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And this is something else that happens in StarCraft, where, okay, we're having the same game over and over. We end up with too much of one matchup. Yeah, yeah. And I've got a choice in that I kind of I, I can either lie to my viewers and 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 spin this shit into something that is way more exciting but not honest. Yeah. yeah. Or I can try to be you know, I think fair to the viewer and say, okay, you know, today wasn't as good, but it's cool to see these guys advance. I wonder how they're gonna handle this the next time. Sure, sure. And I think spin it in a really fair way. And especially for new casters, I think they become victims of their own micro success mm. where they'll do let's say they have a joke that really lands and everybody loves it yeah and then they'll repeat the joke for three months or four months sure. you know and eventually it becomes annoying yeah but they're especially people who obsessively read reddit mm -hmm. uh or or have toxic people on their twitter accounts and and they're sort of beholden to them yeah yeah you'll see this a, a lot where if they were super hype and people loved it, they go super hype every time. Yeah. And then they get confused and people get annoyed yeah, yeah, yeah. by that. And so it's, I think a lot of this is trying to learn how to balance out and figure out what is actually the best version of yourself sure. and for the game Yeah, to, to do it right. It's, it comes, it's like, it's kind of like whenever we all get together, right? Like it's, it's interesting. We have some running memes, some running memes from event to event. Oh, for sure. But I mean, among each other, yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and yeah, then yeah. in the broadcast, too. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, but the e-gamer <laughs> thing was us just memeing backstage about... But that that one's... That's that's a fresh meme, right? Yeah. For, between us. And that's kind of always what happens when we we, we all get together. Mm -hmm. Every so, every event, there's always a fresh meme. And, like, that that keeps it great. That That's what keeps it spicy, right? Like, you got to constantly be reinventing yourself. You've got con to constantly have new moments, New moments and moments in esports are something that I think are very important. Like, if you can make a death segment, if you can make it have a moment, right? One of my one of my death dudes got really angry at me, and I kind of stole this from uh, um, the Pylon show uh, that Dan uh, hosts. Um, which, so doing a PUBG death segment or whatever, sometimes, especially in a league format, it can get really mundane, right? Um, to, to a certain degree, for, for a viewer, right? Unless some things are being kept fresh and stuff like that. So we had the section, ask, hashtag AskPEL. People would send in questions and stuff like that. There's some serious, some funny, you know, like, oh, what do you think about this rotation? Do you think they're going to be able to do well this tournament? Or, you know, what's your guy's favorite haircut? I don't know. <laughs> I'm just making yeah. some crochet. Oh, the K-pop star bull haircut. Yeah. It, oh, it's great. <laughs> Next question. <laughs> but so I, on like one of our last weeks, Whilst me, my two guests are sat on the desk or whatever, I sent in my own question, which is, if you were a sentient piece of food, which would you be and who would you have guard you so you wouldn't get eaten? One of my guys was <laughs> not having this. He was mad that I'd sent in this question. But a lot of people after that, after we'd had this like laughing back and forth of like, I wouldn't have you guard me because you'd eat me because you're a fat bastard. Yeah. Like, like some people were watching this at home and they were loving it they were loving it because you've created a moment right you've yeah. like 
It's nothing to do with the game. We are in this world where we are like, yeah, we're talking about the game, but we also have to be entertainers. We also have to be comedians, right? Right. And those kind of moments that people make on broadcasts are, are things that people remember for a long, long time compared to like a mediocre game, right? Oh, I agree. I think uh, a lot of the success that Dan and I have had uh, as a duo casting together is mm. just having fun. Yes. And it was crazy sure. how many people would try to stop that early on in our careers Pro- production <laughs> and 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 then they'd be genuinely confused when people enjoyed it yeah um that's that it, is one of the big problems with these spots right now is too many big wigs want to take everything super serious like i don't think we should be wearing jackets and ties and shirts i think we should be wearing well uh, sometimes it depends like if it's a global final yeah sure maybe yeah. like you know the gravitas of the situation you want to make it feel cool or whatever but I want everything to be chill. I want to be able to engage with our true audience, which is like a lot of young, impressionable people, um, in a way that is cool. When I'm wearing yeah. a shirt and a tie and a jacket, I don't think like people are connecting with that as much as if I'm wearing my... This is a little bit extreme, but like my Finn Balor shirt uh, from WWE. Because like after I did that, I am Katowice for that one day. Oh my God, I got so many messages. Like, I didn't know you were a Finn Balor fan. That's so cool. Like... It's not cool to a lot of people, but it's cool to this small section of people. Right? Well, I think there's probably a couple <laughs> reasons why we can't do that is because they don't want brands. Sure, but you that, can. That aren't, you there's, can... But there's always a way around that. Absolutely. I, 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 I've always had mixed feelings about this because okay. I'm not a, a suit guy. Yeah, yeah. I'm not even a tuck my shirt in guy, you know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I, I would prefer to just drap, dress hip. Or yeah. just dress like I normally dress, which a, is like, dude, I like a, to think is hip. A plain shirt, a leather jacket. Oh my god, you look insanely cool compared to like you're dressing up to go to your first business meeting, like yeah. with the bank. Like, yeah, there is this weird thing where we're on camera, and it's like, <sighs> look at these bankers that cast Starcraft. I, I don't know. I also, I will tell you, I like dressing up for these nice events and being in a for suit. For a big and, event, and, but sure, um, it, I, it's it's tricky. I don't know. There, there is part of me that yeah. understands, yeah, okay, they want it to look like a professional broadcast or whatever. This is what real sports do like, and stuff. But I don't know. I like to reserve... I would like to reserve that for like the... Especially mm-hmm. if you're doing a league format where it's like you're wearing a shirt every day. I'm like, oh, how about like we add some of our own personal flair in there and maybe yeah. be a bit more personable with our audience and try and connect with them a little bit more. Or even having a someone in wardrobe that can give us clothes and... Sure. I mean, boy, Overwatch. bandify us in a way where <laughs> we all look good, but we're not all. I mean, okay. Like, so as much as I dislike, in my opinion, I, I dislike Overwatch League and the whole entire concept of it and stuff like mm-hmm. that. They have a stylist very clearly. Sometimes it goes a little bit overboard, um, but for the most part, some of the clothes that they're wearing look really cool, right? Yeah. Like, I, and they look chill, and I think that is far more personable and far more relatable. Um, some t- again, as I say, sometimes they go overboard and I don't agree with the entire t- concept of Overwatch League in its entirety anyway and I don't agree with the entire concept of the COD League thing that's coming up anyway. The whole franchising thing is ridiculous and it's going to hurt things, I think, in the long term. Um, that was a really big tangent off what they're wearing. <laughs> I'm no, sorry. No, it's fine. <laughs> but, yeah. No, I, 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 I'd be interested in experimenting with clothing. clothing excuse me. So, well, let's just talk about the overwatch league and cod league then <laughs> since we went on that that tangent um what do you not agree with on it uh i don't agree with all the money it. all the money think, you think it's too expensive do you think it's going to i think collapse this this is 
maybe harsh. I'm not sure, mm-hmm. but I think creating artificial esports uh, based on venture capital um, and attempting to ram it down people's throats is <laughs> is probably not the best way to have an esport happen. Let's take let's let's look at successful scenes in esports. Let's look at StarCraft, homegrown grassroots. It was born of nothing. Eventually, Blizzard came in and started supporting it or whatever. Some would argue Blizzard's original involvement kind of didn't do it too many favors from the MLGs, the DreamHacks, the ESLs, doing all their weekend tournament to then take over and do WCS at the very beginning. It's stabilized now, of course, but it, at the beginning, it wasn't great. Um, and then something like Smash Brothers, totally, totally grassroots. Oh, like Melee? Yeah. yeah. No big tournament involvement whatsoever for a long time and it's still there and it still prevails and people are still making you know decent money of it or at least you know enjoying it as a living um or a game like counter-strike 1.6 was around forever yeah uh source did not do well people stayed with 1.6 until eventually csgo came out and everybody switched over and that's another huge topic which is that i think that valve handles their esports very well Mm -hmm. some people would say it's too hands-off but i think like if you look at counter-strike and dota 2 they're if Counter-Strike as a as an entire entity is amazing right now, the international is this spectacle that everybody knows about and it makes a lot of money. Anyway, that's by the by. I think that um, this franchising thing that uh, Activision Blizzard seems to be really keen on right now with Overwatch League, it's truly an artificial esport. If they were to have allowed it to grow and see how it goes, how esports do develop with endemic organizations then cool that could have worked out but i think that overwatch league and cod world league it's called cod world league i think it's called cod world league i believe that's what it's called um they have the potential right now of creating the next artificial esports bubble which eventually when it pops i don't think i don't think we're ever in a situation now where esports is ever just gonna you know the bubble pops and then everyone loses their job i don't think we're there I, i think we're totally beyond that now if if Overwatch League and COD World League disappeared tomorrow because that bubble burst, we'd still have our situations intact, right? I think that's fair to say. But what is going to happen is that when all of these venture capitals and big like brands and sponsors who have bought in for tens of millions suddenly realize in five years that their return on investment isn't going to give them anything, then that harms the... Uh, potential future big brands coming in for a 10-year period say they're like they'll look back on that and say oh these put these people put 20 million in and they didn't get their money back well we're not going to try this until it's stabilized more then right so i think it has the potential to hamper progression how, how old is overwatch now i don't know like, well, overwatch league is two years old is it two years because they didn't Dude, have a, a major league right when it came out no it the didn't. game no. came out and then there was it had a lot of other tournaments going stuff. on. Yeah, they had like Apex and Korea and stuff like that. But like tournament we're... organizers legit wanted to do things with mm-hmm. it. And they were effectively either denied because they wanted to save things for Overwatch World Cup and Overwatch League. I don't know. But StarCraft Two, for instance, is a little bit over nine years old. Sure. Um, almost 10. We're, we're, almost yeah, 10. Yeah, yeah. Almost that's going to be pretty big. Oldest uh, GSL's oldest esports show ever I, now i mean no, longest I, lasting i should say not oldest exactly iem katowice was announced and they're saying it's the 10th year of you know starcraft 2 for these kind of yeah. tournaments so um it's hard to imagine where overwatch will be 
in nine years. Sure. It's really hard well, to imagine that. It'll Call be Overwatch, of Duty Overwatch as well. 13, no? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> you know, um, Call of Duty is a game that's very big, but has never had, as far as I understand, a massive esports following. Mm. It just has a lot of people that play it. There's this weird thing with uh, COD esports where, like, a lot of their talent, for example, have, like, a lot of followers on Twitter. But I know a lot of those followers came from, like, just giveaways of, like, scruff controllers and stuff. I love quite a few of their talent. Don't get me wrong. No, but they're I'm, like, great. They're Nothing their, against them. Yeah, no, absolutely. Some of their followers are, like, artificially inflated and things like that. So I think, I don't know. It, uh, COD esports sits so outside our vision because a lot of it was so console focused right whereas we're very pc focused so i can't fully very xbox focused yeah i can't fully analyze it because i've not been paying as much attention to it over the last five or six years compared to you know the pc world um so you know hey i would love to be proven wrong I would adore to be proven wrong and this thing to be a massive success and all of these venture capitalist uh, endeavors to be then returned on their investment. I would adore that to happen because then it wouldn't have the potential of upsetting the balance. The franchising model is... I don't know what's going to happen with it, man. With Overwatch League and... I think I it's think, a dead end. I, well, I, it's something where... We definitely have... Do you know the sunken cost fallacy? No. The sunken cost fallacy is Unless the I idea that... I know it by that, a different name. The idea that, um, let's say I invest in my... Uh, I have a sister. Not yeah. really, but let's pretend I have a sister. Mm-hmm. She invests in a restaurant, but she needs me to also invest. Sure. So I give her 10000 Yeah. The restaurant isn't doing well, but I haven't made my 10000 yet. Mm-hmm. So I invest another 10000 mm. And instead of pulling out when... I realize that this is, I've already lost the money. It's not going to work. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I keep investing more. That's a sunken cost fallacy. Right. Because right. I've already invested so much, I have to keep doing that. I wonder if there's going to be the same issue with Blizzard and Overwatch League. Right. They had these ambitions. They have too much in it to, they, for it to fail. They had a lot of these ideas with StarCraft too when it came out and didn't handle it very well. Yeah. Um, and then they had a very difficult time with Heroes of the Storm, mm-hmm. which I think they made a major error in with killing but with overwatch it seems like they have to keep propelling this thing forward and it's also this game that was it was founded off of no esports like it before there was team fortress classic but that did not have a massive esports following great game yes tf2 but still a great game but in my opinion better than overwatch but (laughs) it did not have you know, there was not Koreans filling up stadiums to play it. There wasn't some massive European league that people were clamoring to get to or big lands. I think your analysis of that situation or potentially that outcome is correct. I think okay. that we will be in a situation where even if it's an unmitigated disaster, well, that's maybe strong. It's a, it's not good when it comes to financial outcome i think Mm -hmm. that maybe you're there even if they had to internally admit that this isn't doing well they still had to have like the perception that it's you know continuing on and they have to put more money in it to like have it continue on because of the amount of money that is currently invested Mm -hmm. in it uh so maybe that is a thing maybe that does come to fruition there's a couple variables here here's my take on it a the game itself Uh is not it's essentially a 3d moba in a lot of ways it's a shooter game too Mm. But it has a lot of MOBA elements. Um, 
but it's it's not a model that people seem to be rushing to copy mm-hmm. for one it wasn't as an esports something that was there in an esports way for instance counter strike has been copied several times not yeah um Overwatch is not being copied, but maybe adapted. If you if you saw like the Apex. League of Legends, no, 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 not, oh, the, battle, oh, not oh. the battle royale stuff. You saw the League of Legends shooter that they, yeah, yeah, Project right, Project B, League of something. Legends shooter, whatever, whichever but letter it, it is, yeah. It basically looked like Counter Strike like crashed into Overwatch, right? And it looked kind of cool. Yes, yes, but but stay with me just on Sorry, this, on. this point because yeah. I think you're correct in that Riot is looking to. Mm-hmm. Uh, vacuum up some overwatch kids with this shooting game i think so um this game is not the esport we were waiting for i think for a lot of people overwatch overwatch mm-hmm. yeah there wasn't exactly a game like it there was an esport before it so there's a problem maybe with the game not being as catchy yeah. now granted rocket league is 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 a big esport and nobody i think saw that coming at all mm. second this is despite it having mobile like elements it is a shooter game but as Overwatch came out, the Battle Royale boom happened. Yeah. People are playing playing PUBG. They're playing Fortnite. They're playing Apex. A lot of people. A lot of people are doing <laughs> that. And so while they were focusing on this game in the, hope to, in the hopes to revolutionize uh, shooters, mm. this other phenomena happened, which is so big it can't be ignored. And then the third part is that they franchised this thing in such a way that it seems like they're going to be unable to go backwards on all of it, or at least most of it, mm-hmm. to where I don't know how they can maintain costs unless they can pull people back in oh, there's so much to Overwatch, to and that's so hard to do. There's, Please, go ahead. <laughs> there's a few things that Overwatch did really good, which is I think that Overwatch did an amazing job of creating characters that people kind of latched onto and either wanted to like cosplay or found them endearing and stuff like that. And they created uh, like great names and characters for these guys like Tracer and Reaper and all these kind of cool characters that I think people really connected with. That's one thing that I think it did super, super well. One thing about Overwatch League that I think is almost redundant in this space is, and I think a lot of boomers at the top have decided that this is the way because they don't like change. <laughs> um and they find change scary who is that they they did this thing where it's like oh this 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 team is regionalized this team is like this team represents london this team represents la this team represents china and all this stuff like um any any location right we're in a world where esports doesn't need that we don't need to be football we don't need to be traditional sports we are beyond traditional sports we have evolved beyond traditional sports if you're you live in south korea and i live in england oh no i don't live i live in poland right and right doesn't matter the point is is that (laughs) if we really wanted to minus ping we could play each other right right the, the the idea and notion for me of regionalized based sports and stuff like that was born of the fact that you have to do it in real life. You have to be kicking a ball around in real life. Therefore, you are to attach slightly to the region because you're doing this in real life. Whereas esports is online. We're globalized. We can do anything we want. We can be with anybody we want. I re- I'm I'm so this, I think regionalized stuff is very American. You guys really get behind your like region-based teams, but for the rest of the world, I think it's not as prevalent. Like college football here is massive, right? Oh, it's huge, and so is um, 
I mean, like as a kid growing up, I watched the Kansas City Chiefs. Right. I'm, I was from Kansas from City. Kansas. Yeah. That yeah. was that was our regional uh, American football team. Mm, mm. Now I think you're definitely onto something in the sense that this is forced. The, okay, mm. let's say the Shanghai Dragons. Well, this idea was put into place before we necessarily knew. <laughs> That's a funny story in itself. Go on, sorry. That, that, that the dragons were going to be, or, or, or that Shanghai, excuse me, was going to be an Overwatch place. So they, yes. they're going to all these places and saying, okay, you have this team. Well, actually, some games take off in some regions of the world and they don't in others. Yes. But... Do you, do you know about like about how the Shanghai Dragons evolved from like I'll use the example of season one to season two. Do you do you know how like that went? Because like uh, no, I all don't. right. So I don't know the exact name of their playoffs or their seasons or anything that goes down. Like like so let's use season one or whatever. They went zero and forty six or something. Right? Oh, I know about that. Yeah. So that that was bad, right? Yeah. With whatever roster that's sad. That, they had that, that sucks, man. That's really sad. Sucks to be you, I guess. Right. Season two comes around or something, uh, and like. They they win the playoffs or something like that, and everyone's like, "Oh, this redemption story of the Shanghai Dragons! It's phenomenal! It's amazing!" and stuff like that. And I'm like, as a as a onlooker, I'm like, "Whoa, huh? That's really cool. They were zero and seven million, and now they've just won the playoffs. That yeah. what a redemption story!" Anyway, I look into it briefly. It turns out they changed the entire roster. Well, like- <laughs> there's also a whole problem where, I, well, I don't know if it's a problem, but it's a little bit weird. Is that so many of these rosters are made up of Koreans that are not from sure. and the area. Now, from what I saw. Yeah, and so yeah. there's a weird... I don't know. If, I mean, I feel like this is kind of weird. Um, I, I guess in, 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 in traditional sports, this happens a lot as well. But I don't think it happens on a level like this. I mean, if an entire region is represented by only a team that's not from that region, that gets Well, it's because, odd, again, right? it comes back to... Esports is different, right? Esports well, is very how much does this different. Happen? I actually don't know now that I think about it. How much does this happen in? So uh, let's let's take the Premiership football in, or Premiership baseball? in in uh, sure. England, right? Right. I don't know that much about foot. I don't care about that much in football, right? But I know that a lot of the teams are made up of people that are not from that region, okay. not even from particularly England or whatever, right? So cool, you know what? Whatever. That's by the by. Um, but again, you still get people from you know, you still get some people from that region in, in that team. Um, London was a great example in Overwatch where it was just, from the very word go, all Koreans. And I have no problem with all Koreans playing in a team, by no means. But no part of London Spitfire, or whatever it was called, really yeah, Spitfire, right? Really kind of resonated with me as somebody from England. I wasn't like, oh, whoa, I... I want to support London Spitfire because I'm English. No, I, I don't care. <laughs> yeah, I guess the difference is, let's take the States, for instance. Yeah, yeah. Really everywhere, they do play football. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, I mean, American football. American football. Yeah, okay, yeah. Con- yeah. Concussion ball. Con- concussion <laughs> ball. They all play They all play that game yeah, yeah. where they crash into each other with helmets. Yeah. And, and uh, it, it's a big part of American culture. And that's true for all the States. Your college stadiums are bigger than... NFL stadiums, aren't they? Some of them, if I recall. Aren't some of them oh, massive? I don't know. Some Maybe. of them are huge. I, I Dude, looked at I the mean, statistics. Some of, some of our stadiums in the States for NFL are huge. But then also, anyway, sorry, go on. I, I might be wrong, though. I don't know. Uh, but um, what was I saying? <laughs> sorry. No, 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 no. It's okay. Now I'm now I'm going back to I was just amazed at how big some of them were. Um, wow, it's so big. 
No, uh, shit, what the fuck was I going to say? Something to do with concussion ball. It's big here. Oh, okay, I got it. I got it. Yeah. So, American football was already all over America. Yeah. So I think people were not caught off guard as much by having this guy come, let's say a guy from Cleveland comes to the Kansas City Chiefs. Yep, yep. Not that alien, right? But if there was never any Overwatch, let's say in London, Mm -hmm. because there was never any Overwatch anywhere, Yeah. The degree of artificialness mm-hmm. um, that comes in it and the way it feels when you have transplanted several Koreans onto this team, mm-hmm. and people in London are supposed to be excited when they didn't know what this was, and when they tune in, it's a bunch of kids from Seoul. I think that that seems like it would be a problem. Maybe not. I don't know. Mm. I, I don't it feels know. weird for me. Yeah, it, it definitely does. I, I still feel it, like it is very artificial as an eSport right now. And, you know, they can say what they want about their numbers and stuff like that. I think that, you know, there's been a lot of people out there, like, you know, doing journalistic research that maybe they're not entirely accurate. Um, I mean, fair play to them. They've sold out some stadiums for their playoffs. Great. That's awesome. And but I'm, so I'm have a lot of them, eSports. You know? So yeah. have a lot of eSports. Um, do, you, would, do they think that they would be able to do that on a regular basis? Which... I think they've moved out of the Blizzard arena now. Like they're they're going on the road now. It's going to be very interesting yeah. to see what happens when they're on the road. Um cuz I know for a fact that when they were in Blizzard arena the whole time, a lot of those audiences some of them got sparse. Some of them or a lot of them were Blizzard employees that were there. I'm, I I heard that wasn't true. You th- you think that's not true that some of them were Blizzard employees? I think a lot of them. Were I, I heard apparently they they were so worried about because they knew you know there's a lot of people at Blizzard that would be recognized, right? Sure, and I did recognize. <laughs> oh, oh, there were some that were there in the uh, yeah. I mean, I, it's weird because I really don't want to shit on the idea of this company because I, I still I heard, like Blizzard. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, I heard that it just wasn't true that it was basically they don't want Blizzard people. If there were people seen in there, they didn't want that because. Uh-huh. Then they can be accused of having well, I recognize a, a lot pup, of people. A puppet audience was that early on or was that later on? Yeah, it was early on. That I mean, okay. I haven't watched it for a long time. Maybe maybe things stabilized. I don't know. But I mean, Overwatch is so weird, man. Like, um, what was his name? Nate Nanza, the guy that who went to the, Fortnite. Yeah, who went to Fortnite. If he's, I feel like it's very dubious. If he's so positive and confident about this project going well, why is he gone? You know, he was yeah. he was the father of this project. Yeah, that was big news. In a lot of ways, that was one of the funniest <laughs> things that happened the whole year. I was like, wait, where did he go? And then it was... So you got a Fortnite? What, like, you implement- what game did he go to? He <laughs> went to Fortnite? You, oh. uh, Fortnite esports is a meme in itself. Man. Yeah, well... Holy moly. I mean, if, look, there's a lot of people that play that game, though, man. I mean, look, it's... one of my friends that used to do Heroes is now a millionaire because of that game. Yeah. <laughs> Som, do you... I don't know if you watched the World Cup. Uh, the whatever. The I didn't watch it live, but I, I, Long story I followed short, the coverage. One of my guys who, like, was doing Heroes esports, then obviously that scene died. Um, yeah. Like, he won about 1.8 million or something by coming, like, third or fifth in uh, the Solos tournament. Fucking fair play to him, man. That's that's fucking sick. Crazy. It does seem like there's a <laughs> phenomenon that we need to be following carefully, which is the fusion of games that are happening in a generation or two below us. Yeah. Uh, Minecraft influence, 
battle royale influence. Well, that's actually my theory um, about Fortnite. I don't know yeah. if I've ever said this, or maybe you kind of came to the same conclusion my, yourself. But Fortnite is like the perfect evolution for all those Minecraft kids that used to be yeah. on YouTube. So, like, oh, I've talked about this and really different people in the podcast. I've thought the same thing: is that this seems to be they're building the and they're shooting. Yeah, the amalgam for all the things that from that generation could bring you into an esport. Yeah. It's sort of perfect for yeah. that generation of kids that kind of then now got into this, which is like Minecraft, but with a little bit more violence and guns and whatnot and stuff. Because you are yeah. making things. Well, also, you know, the, one of the genius things about Fortnite is it's not too violent. Sure, sure. I mean, one problem... It's very and, well stylized. And, and if I was Counter-Strike, I wouldn't lose an ounce of sleep over this. But one game that has just a lot of baggage as far as trying to make it accessible to mainstream... Mm. media is is counter-strike because it is a terrorist versus counter-terrorists sure. where the terrorists are literally planting a bomb yes yes uh, this is super unappealing optic wise for a lot of media companies um and and, and 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 it is a game where there's a degree of violence and carnage there's a big that you, you can't quite put it on tv but Fortnite is cartoony yeah. and kind of goofy yeah enough yeah. And, and and still has the skill uh, within the game to make it challenging and appealing for competitive players. I don't know if you've heard about this, but there's constantly a big topic of conversation along amongst the Counter-Strike commentators and scene mm-hmm. and whatnot about like how can we make this game more accessible to mainstream where a lot of them like would like to change the name of the from terrorists to count and counter terrorists to like attackers and defenders. Oh fuck that! You, you're you're still, against it. You're still planning a fucking <laughs> bomb, and, and and half the maps these guys are clearly <laughs> dressed in terrorist garb. What the fuck? Personally, I don't care about what they're called, and if that could potentially do it, sure, whatever, who cares? But there are people, I guess, in your camp. Who are saying? Well, it's just no, screw that. I mean, you're look, ruining the soul of the game. No, no, no. I don't believe in. I mean, okay. no, fuck the soul of the game. <laughs> no, listen. Here's here's my beef with that. Okay, yeah, yeah, go on. Then let's say you hide that. Then the media is <laughs> going to come out. Let's say that you made it into the mainstream. It's going to come out. You know what this really was originally? Oh. Terrorist versus counter terrorist. Yeah, sure. There'll always be those people. I for mean, sure. there's always. Look, this happened with the Joker movie. Okay. Are you in the new one, you mean? The new one where everybody thought, oh, this is going to inspire violence. It's this (laughs) deranged uh, white male, and we can't have this kind of movie coming out that's going to inspire and influence shooters. Meanwhile, John Wick comes out. He shoots out way more people. Everybody. Everybody. He shoots (laughs) up everybody. And I like both these movies. Joker was great. I love John Wick. I'm glad you saw Joker. Do you want to talk about that? We can talk about that in a second, but (laughs) I mean- People are choosing to be upset by certain things. Now, Counter-Strike yeah, has yeah. this issue inherently for what it is about trying to appeal to, let's say, cable TV. But I don't think they need to appeal to that. Mm. Yeah, I think it's okay to have, let's say, an R-rated eSport mm-hmm. and just own it. Oh, not, not every game has to be made appealing to everybody all the time. We don't have to bubble wrap everything. Uh, I just think that Fortnite has captured the imagination of an entire generation. Sure. And seems capable of, I think, making massive shifts in the way esports is going to be treated well, down do the road th- with it, with the new generation they have. They do things very nicely. Like I like all the world events. I think mm-hmm. that it's like for for 
generations below us, I think their attention span's slowly waning, right? And Fortnite does a good job of being able to keep them attentive by changing yeah. things constantly. Uh, and I think I think everything they do regarding esports is absolutely planned. There's no way that they're not doing this on purpose, like putting random new weapons in just before an esports tournament. There's no way this is happening on by accident, right? Like, oh, it's yeah, like attention span things to there, constantly there, keep... There does seem to be a conflict of interest yeah, yeah. with the item monetization sure. and release timings. Uh, juxtaposed to the moments when tournaments are happening. Oh yeah, it happened it every se- single time. It seems it was like crazy. they want to have an item used at a certain time when it's televised to increase I think, so, uh, microtransactions. So, I might be wrong. So I don't know because this is like me at my computer looking at stuff and making a conclusion. <laughs> I don't. I I don't know anybody. Nobody's leaking this to me, but I've gleaned that. I don't play Fortnite, nor have I since like the very beginning when it was the original mm-hmm. map. But I again. You know, it comes back to what I said uh, an hour or two before. I follow so much esports. I follow everything around it. So the Infinity Blade was one moment where it was happened right before a tournament. It was just overpowered. And actually, fully enough, Sam, the guy that I taught, said won 1.8 million, actually won some tournaments with that thing, and he was very happy with it. Uh, and then the Boom Box, I think, was another time that it happened, which basically just destroyed buildings. <laughs> it was crazy. Yeah. Um, that was another moment that it happened. Uh, and then people were angry at the mechs, but I don't think that happened just before an esports tournament. Anyway, that's that's by the by. There was one thing that you mentioned just a little bit earlier, which was you think like these games don't need cable TV, right? And I am a hundred percent on board with that. I think that it's it's funny because we're in this world right now where I think terrestrial TV and traditional TV needs esports more than esports yes. needs terrestrial TV and traditional TV. Terrestrial TV, it's it's so fucking weird. It's so weird and bad, bad. It's yeah, it's bad and it's it's <laughs> it's so bad. I don't get it, and I don't I don't understand why. For the longest time, I don't know how my not, not just Blizzard. I mean, all these companies uh, I would talk to were so caught up with trying to get. On. I mean, if you if you watch terrestrial TV in the year twenty nineteen. You're a fucking caveman. Yes. Okay. How many of like the generations? Like, our you generations are sharpening rocks on <laughs> other rocks. Okay. Our generations and generations under us aren't watching TV much anymore. No. If they're watching things, it's on their PC. It's on YouTube it's or on... it's on Netflix or yeah. it's on Twitch. It's again boomers and upwards. Like my grandparents and my parents yeah. and whatever. I go to their houses and they're just sat there watching TV. I'm like. Yeah, I mean, maybe they're just it's seven know, o'clock. I'm going to watch that that movie they're going to put on. That's literally an hour longer because there's so many commercials. Yeah. In between it. God damn. Yeah, I, <laughs> I, I don't get it. I don't know. Oh, yes. You mentioned the Joker movie. Great movie. I'm so glad you said it's a great movie. Ask me anything. What do you think? Because I so before I went into it mm-hmm. and even still now, I see so many people like hating it. And the, there's two camps. It's like Marmite, right? You love yeah. it or you hate it. And I think a lot of people are you love it or you hate it with this movie. And I think the Joker movie is a good reflection on the person watching it. Don't you think? Ooh. Okay. Are you saying? Well, no. Go on before I try so, to. So, so I figure think... your idea. You just go ahead and say it. Sorry. <laughs> I think a lot of people like. I think. I think some people who are unwilling to appreciate the movie as a piece of art like uh, like a connecting narrative and story development a story driven kind of piece i think a lot of people who may be negative in real life 
see the negativity of the movie and dwell on it and focus too much on it to the point where it makes them not able to enjoy the movie but if you step back and are able to kind of have an open mind towards it and appreciate these bigger concepts and bigger things dude the narrative of the movie is so good the acting is so good the imagery in the movie is so good the development of the characters is so oh i really enjoyed that movie man i'll go watch it you want to go watch no (laughs) (laughs) if i had time i would i actually do want to watch it again i think there is something going on where people are becoming upset by certain types of art being explored. Sure. For instance, Game of Thrones. Dude, not every movie has is, to be happy. Not right. The, the good yes. guy doesn't have to win every single time. This is yeah. why I enjoyed the first Avengers film. The- <laughs> well, even if you go back to really good literature, yeah, uh, you know, a lot of great literature ends sadly. Yes. And it, 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 I think you have to be a pretty unsophisticated person to assume or maybe you watch too many shitty superhero movies mm-hmm. where the good guy wins mm-hmm. and this is basically the McDonald's of storytelling. <laughs> the McDonald's. And you are not being forced to think. I mean, the success yeah, of yeah. Game of Thrones... Now, let, never mind the old seasons. I'm not going to waste my time talking about that. Like the last one where they basically Oof. fucked up the show in a way I, di- I didn't think was possible. But let's take the first like, four, five, six seasons of Game of Thrones. Phenomenal. Phenomenal TV. Yeah. Uh, and it made you empathize with all the different characters. Mm-hmm. And there were people you thought were good or you thought were going to win that didn't make it and people you knew were going to lose yeah, yeah. you were proven totally wrong. And it was a great exploration into characters and people and, and what drives you and, and what values do you live by and when will you betray those values. Yes, yes. And I think... Because it was real. Yes. Because that's how history was. And also, life's <laughs> fucked up. Yes. I mean, literally, the fact that In Control had passed shows life is fucked up and unfair. A hundred Of all people. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's important to to experience uh, stories and, 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 and talk about tragedy and talk about, like, what makes a bad person? Mm-hmm. I mean, a lot of that is is really trying to say, and that's part of his speech in the end. And it, by the way, the idea was not to inspire shooters. No, of course they, not. Obviously, course the guy not. is a sad, miserable person. But to, to point out, a villain story can be incredible to see as well. Yeah. But there's this whole side narrative mm-hmm. that's coming out where people don't want certain stories being told. Um, people can't deal with negativity, man. It's like the yeah. social media world where like, yeah. everything has to be happy and smiley and good all the time. The world is not like that. Yeah, and and also like, it, it, it's a comic book, but it's fine that it's not like that as yeah. well. It's fine. Like the, this is just the world. This is the natural progression of the world. You're not going to be here forever. I'm not going to be here forever. Nobody's going to be here forever, dude. You know, fuck, well, fuck this. Like, <laughs> you know, this with this social justice warrior <laughs> um thing. Look, here's what's weird for me about it. Okay, I'm sure. I oh. grew up in Kansas. Yep. In a small suburb on State Line was the name of my street. State Line. So okay. I lived on the Kansas side of the street. My private all boy Catholic high school I went to was on the other side of the street in, in Missouri. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. A little short walk, maybe like a 20 minute walk. Uh, I grew up going to Catholic school. Uh, and, and it wasn't like it was repressive conservative, but there was sort of a conservative sure, sure. air in, in that area. And. I always found really vulgar comedy funny. Mm-hmm. I liked uh, 
some violent anime. Sure. So I was always searching for other stuff that was out there. I mm-hmm. didn't, and mm-hmm. I, I obviously didn't grow up now living as an adult growing up living in a, in a suburb. I moved to Korea. I wanted to do extreme things with my life. Mm-hmm. When I was in college, rebelling against the, all the stuff I dealt with <laughs> in Kansas when I was in Colorado, sure, yeah, yeah. I dyed my hair. Uh, oh, I, I got those. piercings in my face. Uh huh. Yeah. Um, and my ears are still gauged to this day. But what's weird to me is the people I see who are younger than me talking out against the Joker or talking out <sighs> against violent movies, they look exactly like me at that right, age. It, right. So how the fuck did it become kids who are trying to dress in a rebellious way acting like the conservative people that I grew up with in Kansas? Yeah. How did this fucking role switch Cause, happen? Because the world's too sensitive, my friend. Yeah. That is what it is. The yep. world is too sensitive. Everyone is a special snowflake now. And if you encroach on either safe space or if you encroach on ideas that they then believe to be their identity. Oh, yeah. God. Well, I, I, I just find it incredible that the way that I dressed... As as a young person, yeah, was yeah. telegraphing that I'm tough and fuck you, and <laughs> <laughs> you're definitely leave me tough. alone. You're tough. Uh, t- leave leave me alone, and 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 I'm gonna do what I want to do. It has turned into yeah. this weird policing of of art, and 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 um uncharitable views on yeah. uh what people talk about. I mean, for instance, this Joker movie, which people were judging before it ever came out. Oh yeah, yeah. Which, by the way, it's now the highest grossing. R-rated film of all time. Based it's on being some, critically acclaimed. Based on some weird stuff as well. They were like, oh, he's never going to live up to Heath Legend's Joker. I'm like, guys. <laughs> also, there was a shooting in the Heath Ledger Joker movie. Sure, sure. Um, well, it wasn't just like it was a Heath Ledger Joker movie. I mean, the older Batman movie. Yeah. Uh, which is a tragedy, but I, it doesn't seem clear at all that was inspired by the Joker. But the media has been incredibly irresponsible with the narrative of blaming everything but themselves because they talk about shooters the wrong way. I don't know. This is a whole can of worms, but <laughs> we've gone on some good tangents. I'm this has been this. good. Uh, look, I think the Joker was a great movie. I just find it very odd that people are, uh, things like this come up. Don't watch the Joker when there's so many other shooting movies out there. Do you think there's something to my statement that it, like reflects on the person about that film? It's very interesting. I, I think, I think it has wrong. to, well, I think it has to reflect on the person. Yeah. I think it's impossible to experience art without, because it's, you're the vehicle through which it's experienced. So mm-hmm. you're channeling mm-hmm. that. So it has to also be a reflection of yourself mm. or Damn. a reflection of the way that you're viewing society. Right. This is what we got to. Is what we got to. <laughs> uh, listen, man, thank you so much for doing this podcast. This is really great. No, no problem. No, um, no problem. Is there anything else you want to say before we close this out? Uh, not too much. Um, make sure to tune into everything that I'm doing because I'm always busy. <laughs> <laughs> and eventually I do want to start streaming at home, but it's a little bit difficult. But it's I'm hard, tr- man. Yeah. You're a busy bee. Yeah. Um, all right, let's close this out and go to our after show. Thanks for watching, guys. Okay, guys, thanks so much for listening. Um, I'm loving doing this podcast. This is so fun. Uh, we're going to have another episode coming out next week. For now, we're going to be trying to release every week because we have a couple more still in the pipe, and I'm going to have some more free time coming up here to make some more podcast episodes since everything's basically slowing down. KSL is the last thing that I do for the year, um, and that's already beginning to taper off. 
Uh, special thanks to those who uh, are top tier supporters, I should say, on Patreon. Seth Rohit Sambadi, Charlie Shiver, John Kernicki, Tyler Tibu Baggins Radsek. Uh, it's really appreciated. I hope I'm saying your guys' names correctly. Uh, let me know if I'm not, and I'll try to get it right in the next <laughs> podcast uh, outro. Uh, again, quick reminder, there is a, an after show episode with Calaris for Patreon supporters only. Uh, I love you guys. I hope you guys have a great week. I'll see you again soon. Bye-bye. This episode was produced by State, artwork by Alarice, music by Mark Lance. <laughs>